Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2013, titled Revival and Reformation. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 13 for September 21 to 27, The Promised Revival, God's Mission Completed. Sabbath afternoon, September 21. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you again to open your word for the last lesson in this series on revival and reformation. And as we do so, we look to your word to give us guidance. As we study, as we listen, as we read, we pray that your spirit will guide us, that our lives may be changed forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is, Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That's James 5, 7 and 8. Let's read it again. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The challenge of preaching the gospel in the context of the three angels' messages to the entire world may seem impossible. Although the Seventh-day Adventist Church is growing rapidly, it's not keeping up with the population. There are multiple areas of the world with the name Seventh-day Adventist, much less message, our message, is not known. The reality of this harsh fact leads to serious questions. Is it possible for the gospel to be preached to the entire world in this generation? Will there be some unusual breakthrough that will dramatically speed up the proclamation of the three angels' messages? There is always one thing to keep in mind when we discuss this topic. The mission is God's, and He will accomplish it. At the same time, however, we must remember that We have been called to a crucial role in that final work as well. Sunday, September 22, The Promised Power Question Christ's Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18-20, to 20, is accompanied by His Great Promise. What is that promise? What does it mean in a practical sense? And how can we draw comfort from it? Why is that promise so important to us? And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The disciples preached not in their strength, but in Christ's. 
According to Paul, in fact, the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven in just a few short years. Colossians 1.23, he says that. Although some might question the precise meaning of Paul's words, it's undeniable that the gospel made a powerful impact on first century society. It changed the world. Christ promised his disciples that he would send the promise of my Father, and they would receive power from on high in Luke 24.49. The Saviour added, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Acts 1 verse 8. No matter how challenging the task, the promises of God are sure. Jesus' statement that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come, Matthew 24.14, is a promise. The proclamation of the gospel to the entire world may seem impossible, but God's power will overcome every obstacle. Every person on planet Earth will have a reasonable opportunity to hear and understand God's message of love and truth, before the return of our Lord. Revelation 18.1 says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Ellen White writes in Early Writings, page 277, I saw angels hurrying to and fro in heaven, descending to the earth, and again ascending to heaven, preparing for the fulfilment of some important event. Then I saw another mighty angel commissioned to descend to the earth, to unite his voice with the third angel, and give power and force to his message. Great power and glory were imparted to the angel, and, as he descended, the earth was lightened with his glory. The light which attended this angel penetrated everywhere. God will finish his work. He will pour out his spirit in mighty power and accomplish what seems impossible according to all human planning. So to finish today, what are ways that you can, in your immediate sphere, be a more effective witness for the Lord? That is... What can you do to help see the fulfilment of Matthew 24.14? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Monday, September 23, the early and the latter rain. Both the Old and New Testaments use the symbolism of water to represent the Holy Spirit. The, the prophet Isaiah quotes the words of our Lord, I will pour water on him who is thirsty, I will pour my spirit on your descendants, Isaiah 44 verse 3. Isaiah uses a common Hebrew literary device called parallelism. The second phrase in the passage explains the first. The prophet Joel also discusses the symbolism of water. God promises to water Israel's fields, then declares, 
and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Joel 2.28 Jesus uses the symbolism of water to represent the Holy Spirit in John chapter 7, verses 37-39. to 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spake concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Question. What are the two symbols that each of the following texts use regarding the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Joel 2, 21-24 and 28-32, and James 5, 7 and 8. How are we to understand what they mean? First of all, Joel 2, 28-32, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Joel 2, verses 21 to 24. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvellous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. In Bible times, Sowing and ploughing took place from the middle of October, shortly after the falling of the early rains. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. These early rains brought the seed to germination and nurtured its early growth. The latter rain came in the late spring to bring the ripening fruit to harvest. The barley harvest and the other grain harvests were spring events, followed by the fruit harvest in the summer and fall. God uses the symbolism of the early and latter rain in two ways. The early rain of the Spirit fell upon the disciples at Pentecost in order to launch the Christian mission. The latter rain will be poured out on God's church at the end of time in order to complete his mission on earth. The term early rain also refers to the daily work of God's Spirit, convicting, instructing, guiding and empowering each believer. The latter rain is a term used to describe a special endowment of God's Holy Spirit on Christ's church 
just before the coming of Jesus. In Acts of the Apostles, page 54 and 55, Ellen White writes, Under the figure of the early and the latter rain, that falls in eastern lands at seed time and harvest, the Hebrew prophets foretold the bestowal of spiritual grace in extraordinary measure upon God's church. The outpouring of the Spirit in the days of the apostles was the beginning of the early or former rain, and glorious was the result. But near the close of earth's harvest, a special bestowal of spiritual grace is promised to prepare the church for the coming of the Son of Man. This outpouring of the Spirit is likened to the falling of the latter rain. And it is for this added power that Christians are to send their petitions to the Lord of the harvest in the time of the latter rain. Tuesday, September 24, Prerequisites for the Latter Rain Question. What do the following texts tell us about the preparation needed in order to receive the Holy Spirit's power in its fullness? Acts 1.14, Zechariah 10.1, Acts 3.18-20, Acts 4.31, Psalm 119, verse 25, and John 6.63. Beginning in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Zechariah 10.1 Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. Acts 3 verses 18 to 20 But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent there and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. And Acts chapter 4 verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And Psalm 119 verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. And John 6.63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. The Scriptures invite us to ask God for the Holy Spirit. Luke 11.13 reads, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The disciples believed Christ's promise, waited in unity, and prayed for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We read about that in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and verse 14. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And verse 14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The reason that God asks us to pray for the Holy Spirit is not that he is unwilling to give us the Spirit, 
but that we are not prepared to receive it. As we pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God works on our hearts to lead us to deeper repentance. Praying in small groups with other church members draws us into a closer bond of unity and fellowship. Both prayer and Bible study prepare our minds to be sensitive to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Question. What is the natural result of spiritual renewal in our lives? Where does all spiritual revival and reformation lead? We'll look at Psalm 51, Acts 4, Acts 5 and Acts 8. Beginning in Psalm 51, verses 10 to 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. And Acts chapter 4, verses 13 and 20. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marvelled, and they realised that they had been with Jesus. And verse 20, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And Acts 5.33 When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. And Acts 8, verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. All spiritual revival and genuine reformation leads to a passionate desire to witness. When our hearts are filled with a deep appreciation for everything that Jesus has done for us, then, like Peter and John, as it says in Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the early reign on the day of Pentecost empowered the disciples to effectively witness. Their witness was so powerful that a rebellious mob in Thessalonica screamed in fear that these who have turned the world upside down have come here too, in Acts 17 verse 6. Just as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost enabled the disciples to be a formidable witness to their generation, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in latter rain power will empower God's church to reach the world in the final generation. It will take nothing less than latter rain power to complete God's mission on earth, and God offers nothing less. Heaven's most precious gift is offered in infinite supply in order to accomplish the most urgent and important task ever entrusted to His church. And so to finish today, the early disciples turned the world upside down with their preaching and witness. Why isn't that said of us? Wednesday, September 25, the Baptism of Fire. Both the Old and New Testaments use a variety of symbols such as water, wind, and oil to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist links another image, that of fire, to the work of the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3. There are many who have misunderstood John's statement. 
The passage does not say he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit or with fire. It says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The second expression, and with fire, explains the first expression, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the baptism of fire. The word baptism in the New Testament is used 80 times and refers to total immersion. Question. Read the following passages and describe what the symbolism of fire represents in the Bible. Exodus chapter 3, 2-4, 24, verse 17, 1 Kings 18-24, Malachi 3, 2 and 3, Acts 2, 1-4, and Hebrews 12, 29. First of all, Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and then Exodus chapter 24, verse 17. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And First Kings 18.24 Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 to 3 but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner, and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. And Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come... They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then Hebrews 12.29 For our God is a consuming fire. The symbolism of fire is a symbol of the glory, presence, and power of God manifest in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. To be baptized with fire is to be immersed in the glory of God's presence through the Holy Spirit in order to witness in His power. Moses met God at the burning bush and then left the glory of his presence in order to witness to Pharaoh. Elijah witnessed to Israel in the glory of God's fiery presence on Mount Carmel. When tongues of fire fell on Pentecost, the disciples witnessed in languages that they had never before known. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is immersion in the presence and power of God in order that we can effectively witness of his glory. Once again, in the last days of earth's history, God's people will be immersed in his presence, filled with his power, and sent out to witness of his glory to the world. The earth will be filled with the glory of God. As it says in Habakkuk 2.14, 
The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In prophetic vision, John saw an angel messenger descending from heaven, and the earth was illuminated with his glory, Revelation 18.1. God's glory, his loving character, will be revealed through the power of the Holy Spirit to a waiting world and a watching universe. Every person on planet earth will have the opportunity to both hear and understand God's last day message. So to finish today, God's glory, His loving character, will be revealed to the world. How can you, right now, in your own sphere, reveal that glory in your life? What will that require on your part? Thursday, September 26, the Great Controversy Ended The entire book of Revelation can be summarized in just a few words. Jesus wins, Satan loses. Question. Read Revelation 12, 17, 17, 13 and 14, 19, 11 to 17. What is the central message of these passages? First of all, Revelation 17 Sorry, Revelation 12, verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus Christ. And chapter 17, verses 13 to 14. These are of one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. And chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron." He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here is good news. The same Jesus who defeated Satan on the cross will come again and triumph over the powers of hell and put a full end to evil. We read about that again in Revelation 19, verses 19 to 21. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And in Ezekiel twenty-eight, eighteen, and 19. 
You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore I brought fire from your midst, it devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the people are astounded or astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more for ever. Evil will not have the last word. Poverty and pestilence will not have the last word. Sickness and suffering will not have the last word. Chaos and crime will not have the last word. Disease and death will not have the last word. Instead, God will. Until then, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are doing everything possible to reach every person. God's heart aches over a lost world. Soon his people will reveal to the world, in both the witness of their words and their works, Jesus' amazing grace and truth. Of course, Satan will do everything in his power to oppose this witness. The final crisis will break upon this world. Jesus will pour out his Spirit in latter rain power, and the work of God on earth will be finished. As Ellen White writes in The Great Controversy, page 612, Servants of God, with their faces lightened up and shining with holy consecration, will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven. By thousands of voices all over the earth the warning will be given, miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and signs and wonders will follow the believers. The work of God on earth will be finished. Jesus will come. All heaven and earth will rejoice. There is no more important priority in our lives than experiencing a revival of God's grace in our hearts, daily, and inviting His Holy Spirit to make us into His image, as it says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. So to finish today, our world is falling apart. Who can't see that? Is there anything that matters more than opening our hearts to Jesus and pleading for the revival and reformation so needed, not just by each one of us individually, but by our church as a whole? What would happen if our own hearts were totally surrendered to him and we were completely devoted to spreading this message to the world? Friday, September 27. From the book The Great Controversy, page 612, we read, The message will be carried not so much by argument as by the deep conviction of the Spirit of God. The arguments have been presented, the seed has been sown, and now it will spring up and bear fruit. The publications distributed by missionary workers have exerted their influence, yet many whose minds were impressed have been prevented from fully comprehending the truth or from yielding obedience. Now the rays of light penetrate everywhere, the truth is seen in its clearness, and the honest children of God sever the bands which have held them. 
Family connections, church relations are powerless to stay them now. Truth is more precious than all besides. Notwithstanding the agencies combined against the truth, a large number take their stand upon the Lord's side. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. In the statement above, Ellen White wrote, The message will be carried not so much by argument as by the deep conviction of the Spirit of God. In class, discuss what you think that means. What does it not mean? After all, our message is very logical, very reasonable, and it comes with some very powerful arguments in its favour. How are we to understand, then, what she is telling us? 2. What spiritual application do the promises God gave to his people in the Old Testament have for his church today? Well, let's look at a couple. Deuteronomy 13, sorry, Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 to 18. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be blessed. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. And he shut up the heavens, so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 to 3. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, for he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know... Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. And Hosea chapter 10 verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. 3. Dr. Stephen Hawking, one of the world's greatest scientists, called the concept of an afterlife a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Why does a statement like that show just how crucial and hopeful our message is for a world that knows neither God nor his love? For, though we don't know when Jesus is going to come back, we do know that we want him to, and that we want this sick-sinned world to end and a new sinless world to begin. That's why we believe revival and reformation are so crucial to us as a people, and it's why our leaders are calling us to it. In the end, though, it will come not by anything other than the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and that will not happen until we as individuals make a conscious choice to surrender ourselves with all our hearts and souls and minds to the Lord. How can we, without judging others, without making comparison among ourselves, do our part to encourage one another to be prepared for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives.
Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled, I Want to Serve. Marquin loves Jesus and wants everyone to know about him. When he was five, he wanted to learn to read so he could read the Bible for himself. One day he asked his pastor for a job at church. The pastor invited him to tell the children's story. Marquin did a good job and was invited to speak more often. Then one day the pastor asked him to preach. Me? I'm only eight years old, Marquin said, surprised. It doesn't matter how old you are, the pastor smiled. God can use anyone who is willing. I'm just a kid, Marquin thought. What would I preach about? Would people even listen to a child? Marquin promised to pray about it. Marquin's grandmother told him that the prophet Jeremiah had thought he was too young to preach too, but God had told him that he must share the love of God with everyone God sent him to. Marquin decided that God was asking him to preach. His father helped him to write his first sermon, and then Marquin memorized it. Marquin felt a little nervous on the day he was to preach, but he remembered God's words to the prophet Isaiah, I have put my words in your mouth, Isaiah fifty-one sixteen. Marquin knew that God was with him, and his nervousness went away. People at other churches in his town heard about the boy's sermon, and they invited him to speak at their churches. Marquin accepted the invitations, for he had promised God that he would do whatever God asked him to do. He prayed that his sermons would be a blessing to everyone who heard them. When Marquin was twelve, his pastor offered him a new challenge. The church is planning a three-week revelation seminar, and we would like you to lead it, the pastor said. Preparing and preaching twenty-one sermons was a huge commitment for a young boy, but Marquin prayed about it and felt sure that God wanted him to do it. The church held the meetings in a rented hall. On opening night, some two hundred and fifty people came. Many returned each night to hear a young boy preach God's word. I've learned that if you're willing, God can use anyone to tell others about Jesus, Marquin said. It doesn't matter how old you are. Jesus just wants you to be willing to tell others about him. God has blessed us with truths that millions don't know. It's our duty to share these truths. We can tell others, we can pray for them, and we can give mission offerings so that those whom we may never meet will have a chance to hear that Jesus loves us. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful. Faithful.